You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast, you can't say that. The podcast where you can on the Broadway Podcast Network. This is my first remote recording during the quarantine, and I am so pleased to have uh, my guest in conversation with me today, Carlos Tanner, who is the founder of the Ayahuasca Foundation, which is located in Iquitos. Peru, a place that I just came back from a couple of months ago. And um, I want to talk with Carlos today about his experiences with Aya and other entheogens and other opiates and other kinds of drugs and my own. So um, welcome, Carlos. Oh, thanks so much, Tanya. I hope that you're doing as well as can be. I, I, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. So I was saying, um, Carlos, that I, I listened to another podcast of yours, so I, I know a little bit about your background, but something that is a, a burning question that I personally have about, um, about entheogens, well, we can call them drugs. Some people call them drugs. Some people call them entheogens. Some people call them psychedelics. Um, when I was a young child, probably in elementary school, I know that I made a decision about myself that I felt like I had an addictive personality and therefore I was never going to do any kind of drugs, no smoking, no alcohol, nothing. And I was an adult before I ever tried marijuana or anything. I remember the first time I got drunk on some wine, I was in my twenties. And, um, when I encountered the first plant medicine I experienced, which was Kana about two years ago, I have to say that even to go and try it, I was terrified. I thought um, I would maybe die, that, that, that it's possible I could die, because that's also kind of how I felt about even trying marijuana in my 20s, that I think my greater fear was that I was going to go to some other reality and I'd never be able to come back or I wouldn't even remember what the reality I had ever been in from was before. Uh, that was what entheogens meant to me more so even than like, you know, I, I mean, that's definitely how I felt the first time I did pot. Um, and when I did Kana, the person who introduced me to Kana was like, Oh, you, you, you're totally not ready for ayahuasca, which of course made me then feel like, well, I want to know that what that ay- ayahuasca thing is. 
Um, you talked about uh, being uh, having you know found Aya from an opioid addiction, and what I want to talk to you about in that is that um, for me, most of my experience of just being a person is of not wanting to exist. And I feel like that's different than wanting to die, but maybe it's not. But most of the time that I've been on this planet, I just didn't want to be here. There was nothing that I ever got that the joy of it or the thrill of it lasted long enough to take away the pain of not wanting to be here. But I never did drugs because my fear of drugs was greater than the fear of, you know, the pain of not wanting to be here. And so I, I really wanted to understand what, or have you, if you could describe what is the pain that one feels when one turns to opiates? Well, um, that's a heavy hitter question. And I'm sorry to hear about your situation and the way that you described it. But I do think that over the last 10 years, especially of observing and getting to know and being a part of people's processes that have come down to our center. We've had over a thousand people do our programs and it's given me such a unique opportunity to be able to not just evaluate my own personal process and experiences, but really get to know and, and see if like there are commonalities, which I think there are in a multitude of people that are going through all different kinds of things, but could be reduced down to what I feel is the core cause of all of our health issues, which is generalized, generally speaking, trauma, childhood trauma or adulthood trauma. Um, and so what is trauma? Uh, to me, trauma is an inaccurate interpretation of particular experiences, and they are interpretations that typically uh, are created during extreme emotional states usually caused by fear or terror or extreme negative emotions. And for the reason of having those extreme emotions, the interpretation gets sunk into our being as a core truth or a, a truth that resonates through our personalities and our actions and behaviors and self-perceptions. And it's kind of like a crack in the vessel that holds our own self-love. And, and that's kind of what I was hearing when you were talking about how you didn't feel like you wanted to exist. Um, so I can't really talk about anyone else's experiences but my own when it comes to what made me turn to uh, opioids. Uh, but I will say that saying I'm an opiate addict is only like scratching the surface, really. I was a drug addict in the sense that I didn't really say no to drugs. I chose to call myself an opiate addict. I could have called myself a number of <laughs> addicts, but um, it seemed like opiates were the one that had the most detrimental effect on me because I was smoking weed for a decade, you know, before I became an, an opiate addict. And I was, uh, you know, I, I took a lot of different drugs. Why did I take them? Well, I, definitely there was the the sense that it was, it made me feel better. Like it, that was the, the most simple thing. Like I felt good when I took them 
And I was in a similar place as you. I, I, I referred to it as a deep depression. I was suicidal. And, and so maybe, you know, I, I don't know if how, whether I would like distinguish between wanting to die or not wanting to exist the way that you did, but there was certainly something not right. And I felt like I didn't really have motivation to, to, to continue on, to live on. But if I took drugs, then I forgot about all that. And I could just smile and kind of be present in a good feeling, mm. except that it wouldn't last mm. until, and so you did it again, you know? And, and so, and then that usually would be like, well, what if I took something stronger? You know, what if I did something more than just drink or smoke some weed? Or, you know, what if I took something that uh, people said makes you feel even better or numbs your pain even more? Mm. And I think that's probably why I kind of settled in on the opiates because they are like literally painkillers. You know, sometimes I was uh, snorting painkillers mm. and... And so, um, you know, I, I, I feel like it was pretty directly uh, because I wanted to numb myself. And I didn't, it, you know, it, when you have childhood trauma and you, have, and you create like a harmful or a detrimental truth in your reality of your identity, of your self-perception, it starts to infect, you know, it's like, an, it's like a, a small cut that gets infected. It starts to infect everything in your life, especially your relationships, which is such a huge part of what, how we define our lives is through our relationships. And, and if you don't love yourself or if there's a crack in that vessel, then it just totally infects all your relationships, whether that means that you're trying to become dependent upon other people who love you, you know, where you, you need them to love you because you can't refill your vessel yourself or you can't keep it filled yourself. Um, because you don't love yourself, because that trauma is uh, uh, statements that become part of your identity where you don't deserve to be loved, or it's your fault, or, you know, you're not good enough. These are like the terms that become the truths of our identity when we have traumas. And the trouble with the trauma is that because they're created in those extreme emotional states, usually extreme negative emotional states, they... In those extreme negative emotional states, we are in a, a hypersensitivity state. You know, we're, we're acutely aware, but we're acutely aware in a, in a really uh, negative way. And, and so we can't reach that depth in a sober state, like in a normal state. We don't have access to that sensitivity, kind of like... Um, you, you can only see so much if you're on the surface of the ocean, if you're snorkeling, you know, you can only see so much, even though you're looking down, you can see what's down there, but you can't get down there unless you put some scuba gear on, then you can really get down deep. And, and trauma happens at that scuba gear level, you know, it's at that depth. And, and however many times you go snorkel and try to fix it, you can't reach it. And that's why ayahuasca is such a wonderful tool because ayahuasca is that scuba gear, except that you, it doesn't require extreme negative emotion to achieve it. And so by allowing you to access that realm, you can come face to face with those traumas and you can replace 
those misinterpretations that are detrimental to your health with accurate interpretations that are beneficial to your health. And, and it's the most incredible experience. And that's what my experience was. And that tends to be the experience that I've witnessed and observed in countless other people who have done our programs. So I've done IA nine times. I've done it um, three times at one temple, one time with another Corandera, and then five times in Iquitos. Um, I am a person, I've also done shrooms and sassafras and kana, and I'm a person who doesn't have visuals. Um, I often describe um, entheogens as intense psychotherapy. Like it takes you to the the depth of, of whatever the shit of your life is and you get an opportunity to work on it without having to involve other people in that process. That's my personal experience of it. Um, I know, you know, from listening to other people in, in ceremony circles that that's different from other people. Um, and I've heard you say that you have a very different experience. What What is it that you experience when you are um, using the, the medicine? Well, I, I mean, everyone's experience is probably different. There are commonalities. My experience, I've always been a very visual person. I have a degree in art. I've was, always been an, an artist. I'm still an artist. And I have a, uh, my, the way my memory works is very visual. Like I put information together based on what I can glean from my, from the images I remember, mm. you know? So if someone says like, when was that? And I try to think about when that was, I'll be like, oh, I'm, I can see that I'm in this house and I can, and I know that I lived in that house from these years, you know? And mm. so I like derive my information through my memories from a very visual, in a visual way. And so Probably because of that, I have a lot of visions uh, when I drink ayahuasca. And and that's why I really followed this path to the degree that I did, because when I first drank ayahuasca, the very first ceremony, I had incredibly intense visions. And the second ceremony, also just incredibly powerful, like meaningful visions. And then the third, you know, and it just kept going. And by the third ceremony, the corandero or the shaman, as most people would understand them to be, told me like, hey, you've, you, this is your path. Because mm. I was telling him about my visions after each ceremony. And, um, and so he invited me to become his student and live with him, which I did in, back in 2004. Um, and so my experiences are very, very visual. Mm. And, and sometimes that those visions were unbelievably powerful, like unbelievably helpful in the sense that you, we have the term seeing is believing, you know? So it, it, when I saw, for example, here's a great example, like the fourth ceremony, I had been suffering with a digestive issue for three years and I had gone to doctors, but they weren't able to figure out what was wrong with me. And, and so I, came to the determination, the intention of in my fourth ceremony that I was going to figure it out. And in that ceremony, my spirit left my body 
And I turned around and I looked at my body and I knew my problem was, you know, digestion. So I tried to like look through my body into my stomach, but I couldn't. And granted, this is my fourth ceremony, so I'm not very experienced. And and so then I decided, oh, well, I'll just, uh, I'll go in there through my mouth. So I somehow just shrunk myself down to bite size, I guess you could say, and went into my mouth and down into my stomach. And then I was inside my own stomach as a out, outer visitor. Mm-hmm. And I quickly saw that there was something not right about my stomach. The liquid in the, the bottom of my stomach was very murky and gross. And when I looked closer, there were two eyes of a creature in my stomach looking mm-hmm. back at me. And I realized well, I thought, I, I'm not sure, but I realized to me that that shouldn't be there. And so I um, analyzed it, inspected it, investigated, and it was a squid. Mm. And it had its tentacles like wrapped in my, di- in the in the exit hole to your stomach. I'm not sure what that's called. Sure. And, and it was clogging up my stomach so that it, so that this murky liquid could reside there so it could live in that murky liquid. And I then plucked, like pulled each suction cup of its tentacles off of the walls of my stomach and my intestines, which hurt physically. And, and then I just threw the squid out of my body. And then I, uh, no, somehow I was able to just throw it out I didn't have to like get it out of my mouth. But then shortly after I went outside physically and threw up. So there was like my vision where I was removing this entity. And then that kind of coincided with the physical outside of vision, I guess maybe you could say the real world. And Mm -hmm. then I did actually like go outside the ceremony and throw up. And, but most important, I looking back, I think this was most important was that I, I don't know what happened. You know, I couldn't tell you what happened. I can tell you that it felt like my spirit was outside my body. And, I, you know, I described it the way to the best of my ability as I perceived it just now. Mm-hmm. But looking back, I'm open to the idea that it was different than that. Mm-hmm. But it didn't mm-hmm. matter because the right. result was the next day and for the rest of my life since then, I didn't have the digestive issue. And part of that going back to my statement that seeing is believing is that when I saw that happen and I did it, you know, I I wasn't just like watching it. I was participating in it. I knew that I had fixed it. You know, I knew like that was, that's the problem. I can see it. And now I'm, now I'm going to intentionally fix this, remove this problem. And then afterward, I was like, I fixed it. And what added to that even was that I still had the pain. Like there was the physical pain of the suction cups, which were like so deep into my, into the walls of my stomach and, and intestines that when I pulled the suction cups, they, I could see a wound. Mm. You know, there was like all these open wounds from where these suction cups had been and it hurt. Like I felt the pain. And in fact, I remember thinking maybe I should just put it back mm. because it hurt so much, you know, like, and but luckily, uh, you know, a, a, an overriding voice or maybe the voice of reason was like, no, it's this pain is temporary. It will, you know, it, it will pass, but you'll you won't have the problem anymore. 
And so it's worth it to like endure this pain for the short time that you will have to. And it was a short time, but that pain also added to the belief, you know? And so to me, like, how do I interpret that experience? Exactly as I described it. Like, I literally do think that there was a, a parasite in my body and I found it and I removed it. And, but to maybe what's more important was my belief. You know, I was so sure that I was healed that you couldn't convince me otherwise. And perhaps I had a true physiological response to my consciousness changing. And that resulted in a real change that could have been measured scientifically, you know, so I'm not totally sure I'm open to the idea. I do think I had a parasite. And I do think I removed it that night. But I also don't want to deny the power of my belief because I do recognize that that was a big part of how I was able to achieve it in such a permanent way. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I mean, for me, I think my personal belief is that the power of the medicine is that they speak to you in the language that you need the way you describe hope. Oh, let me stop. Starting again. Um, the power to me of the medicine is that they speak to you in the language that you need. As I listened to you describe that story, it was terrifying for me. If I had had a vision of something with eyes inside of me, I would have gotten too scared. I would not have had the courage to go physically pull that. That's not, that's like, you, you, that hits my button. So, you know, sometimes when I've done shrooms or if sometimes in the medicine, the pain feels like it's going to kill me, I am actually perfectly comfortable with going, okay, if I'm going to die, let's just die. But the idea of some parasite or bug, like bugs are my my thing. And in fact, when I was in Peru in January, um, there was a night I had been sleeping in the Maloka cause I'm particularly afraid of cockroaches. And, um, you know, there are a lot of cockroaches in Peru and there was a night when everybody, we had no ceremony and everyone went back to their rooms and I was going to sleep in the Maloka alone and someone offered to sleep with me, but there were so many cockroaches. I couldn't. And I sat in the kitchen on the table and stayed awake all night because there were bats overhead and there were rats in the kitchen and there were cockroaches. And I, and I kept thinking to myself, if, if I have to get through cockroaches to, to get enlightened, it's not going to happen in this lifetime. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the things that has moved for me since doing medicines is I've actually found 
a reason to exist. Like it's enough for me to exist, to enjoy my children or to be able to create. But when I was in Peru, that feeling of not wanting to exist came up that night with the cockroaches. And it was a feeling of, you know, there's just no point in your being alive. You should just die now. Your kids will get a lot of money. There's just, you are, there's, you're just useless. There's nothing more for you to do in life. You should just go. And I was determined that I was leaving. I didn't care what it cost, who I had to pay. I needed to get out of there. Um, and I, I spoke to our facilitator and he asked me to, for the next ceremony, see if I could find the child place in me that, um, where that was sourced. So when you talk about a traumatic thing, um, what came up for me in the way, and I'm going to describe the way it came up for me because, you know, some people are visual and some people are not. So, um, I don't have a lot of childhood memories. Yes, my childhood, most of my life was pretty traumatic. Up until maybe two or three years ago, lots of trauma. Um, so I had to find a photograph, one of the photographs that I could, that exists of me as a child and go and talk to that part of me and then uh, ask it to, the question. And it took me back to more of a physical sensation memory of being a child. And my mother used to beat me severely and there was not a visual, but there was the physical memory of being beaten when I was two or three years old. And the beating was so severe that I felt I was going to die. And I was going, and I had to leave my body to even survive the beating. And the thought feeling that kept going through my mind was, my mother was beating me because I existed. My existence had ruined her life. She had me when she was 14 years old and my existence ruined my life. And so in having that sensation, thought, feeling, it suddenly was like, oh, well, of course you don't want to exist because your existence means you. someone wants to hurt you because you've ruined their life. And somehow that experience of that lifted that. Now I can't say that it's not going to come back again. And I certainly have other addictions that I do for my trauma, primarily food, but that's the way in which the IS speaks to me. It's more, more language and, and bodily feeling. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it happens differently, but the, the, the commonality, as you can see, is, is actually quite similar. Like there was you, you, what you described, at least the way I heard it was that you sank a truth that was actually not true but you thought it was true and it sank down to the depths of who you are that it infected everything and that was that you are the reason your existence is causes suffering and it causes suffering in the person that you love the most but in general it causes suffering and and that inaccurate interpretation became a truth for you and there was no way that you could get to that same level of depth because you couldn't you know you wouldn't replicate that in order to reach that level you said like you had to like leave your body just to survive that's the 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 level of extreme emotion that was in involved in it and and so the only way to replace that 
is to have some sort of matching or overriding state of being that can get you down to that level of depth. At least that's the words I'm going to use to describe it. And and ayahuasca actually can uh, create such a hypersensitivity state. And yeah, it's it's not it's not a vacation by any means, but but it but it's not done in the same level of terror or the not done in the same level of negativity as what you what caused the trauma. And so it's like in a safe setting in a way, like you, you feel safe that you're with people that are not trying to hurt you and, and that how everyone is sharing a similar intention to better themselves and, and you're with people that you trust and, you know, all of that package and the way the ceremony, the rituals are all done. There's this format that gives you the, the idea and the safety that there's things in control and so that you can go down to those depths and and not freak out. I mean, to me, it's uh, it's an absolutely brilliant and incredibly advanced system of accessing a hypersensitivity state in a controlled setting that can match or override the hypersensitivity states that are caused during the formation of traumas. But it sounds like for you the whole experience, it wasn't just like what happens in a ceremony. It was the entirety of the experience that contributed to it. And I think that's a big part of it as well. Like the healing process doesn't just take place inside the Maloka, uh, although that was where you were, but meaning it doesn't just take place under the influence of the ayahuasca brew itself. Right. Most of the time it's a, you know, it's a, complicated combination of all these different factors and the ayahuasca ceremonies kind of pull the pieces together or they connect the dots to those pieces. Uh, but they're not, but ayahuasca itself is not just the only component. Now, have you done, um, you know, worked medicinally with shrooms? Well, mushrooms were definitely my favorite, uh, thing to do before I found ayahuasca. I do feel like I was working medicinally with them, but without any particular guidance or tradition. Um, unfortunately, there there really isn't the same uh, intact tradition of use when it comes to mushrooms. But I do feel like mushrooms are the future of psychedelic therapy and that mushrooms will most likely be like a huge part of our future generations when they try to deal with similar problems like childhood trauma, because they're so readily plentiful and they're also like easier to do than ayahuasca. Um, you know, like you can, you can smile, <laughs> you can enjoy yourself. I mean, not, not that, you know, there are times of course, when you're smiling and enjoying yourself in ayahuasca ceremonies, but I think that ayahuasca would probably be reserved in, in, in therapeutic senses for more extreme cases, whereas mushrooms would be used for the general population and their attempts to deal with their own childhood traumas because we all have them, you know, and there's always a, a spectrum and everyone's worst, you know, everyone's worst trauma is still at that same point on their spectrum, even though people's spectrums are going to be very different. My spectrum is nothing like what you just described. I wasn't physically beaten, 
but yet my worst of my spectrum was still the worst. You know, it was still at the far end of my spectrum, just like yours was at the far end of your spectrum. And the result of that is a similar level of detriment to our self-perceptions and our, our self-love. Yeah. I, I often feel like when I read about psychedelics or I um, watch videos or things about them, that so much of what people put out there is like, they make them sound like party things. And I have not found shrooms or mushrooms to be party experiences. I mean, shrooms, I get nausea, I get the chills. They may take me to a blissful space, but the doorway to get there is kind of hard. And with Aya, though I've had nights of bliss on Aya, you still got to go through some stuff. There can be a lot of vomiting, a lot of pissing on yourself, a lot of shitting on yourself. I mean, you know, you sit around the room and you're like, I'm paying for this. I'm paying for this. (laughs) (laughs) Why the press is so like, is this to seduce people into thinking it's something that it's not? I mean, what do you think that is? Well, I mean, again, um, I'm a big fan of metaphors, you know, and I really like the snorkeling to scuba diving metaphor. That's one of my favorites. And, and because I kind of feel like it's, you can, you can understand it. If you go scuba diving and you go deep enough, there are some like crazy creatures down there, you know, like the stuff that you can find when you go down deep, um, can be really frightening, but, but that's like for people that have, uh, deep traumas. But if you don't have that deep of trauma, going down that deep can be really fascinating. You know, for other people, it's like tremendously fascinating. They're exploring, you know. And so it's the same thing, except that what they're finding when they get down there is not the same. You know, they they might have they might have dealt with their traumas, you know, halfway down and, but they keep going further. And now it's, now it literally is like a a fun exploration for them. And there are those elements. I mean, myself included, obviously I've done ayahuasca for a long time uh, compared to most like Westerners. And, and some of those times were definitely like fascinating explorations and some of those times were definitely like really deep struggles and challenges and, you know, really uh, not what I would call pleasant, but the results were beneficial. And and so, you know, I don't like who's talking about what, you know, it, it's so hard to say um, what every person's going through, but I can, I can relate to people that look at, especially with mushrooms, I would say, that that look at mushrooms because a lot of it is your intention and Mm -hmm. so it's very rare to hear someone say like hey i'm going to a party and i'm going to take ayahuasca like (laughs) that's that's just not part of the culture at least not maybe maybe it is in los angeles or or hollywood or something (laughs) but but for the most part people know that if you're going to take ayahuasca you're going to a ceremony it's for healing there will be you know some unpleasantries there will be a struggle there will be work to be done you know whereas mushrooms because there's not that culture that it's it's lacking in in any intact uh, connection to traditional culture um people are taking them like, Hey, I'm going to a party. We're going to eat some shrooms. And, you know, and so your intention is to have fun and therefore you're not actually strapping on the scuba gear. You know, you're not, 
you're not saying like, I'm going to go do this and deal with this and face my trauma or face my shadow or look at the stuff that's at the core of my suffering. You're not trying to do that. And so you're not doing that. You're just, uh, Hey, look at the cool colors and doesn't this music sound good? And, <laughs> and I honestly, I have nothing against that. Like, I think that's fine. Like people should have fun. You know, I'm not, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, it would be totally weird, I think, for someone to do that with ayahuasca. But that's because of my background and my path and everything that I do with my life, you know. So I'm even open to the idea that maybe some people are just having fun partying with ayahuasca. I think the puking and the shitting, like you mentioned, probably would put a damper on how much fun you can have. <laughs> This is Tanya Pinkins, and that was part one of my conversation with Carlos Tanner, the founder of the Ayahuasca Foundation in Iquitos, Peru. Come back and join me for part two on the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.